Hi listeners and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. On February 1st, 2012, Samantha Koenig was ending her shift at the Common Grounds Coffee Stand in Anchorage, Alaska, when a masked man approached the window and he would request for a little more than just an Americano coffee. This is the story of the abduction and murder of Samantha Kone and the serial killer that killed her, Israel Keys. It's around 8 p.m. and Samantha is cleaning up, getting ready to close the coffee stand, when all of a sudden, a masked man approaches the window. And security cameras show Samantha approach the window and handing something to the masked man. Then you see her backing away from the window with her hands up in the air. As Samantha is backing away from the window, you see her turn all the lights off. Then all of a sudden, you see a man jump through the window. And next thing you see in the security camera video is two individuals walking away from the coffee stand. That night, Samantha was supposed to be picked up by her boyfriend, Dwayne Tortellani II. However, when he arrived at the coffee stand, it was dark, and it looked like Samantha had already left the coffee stand. Dwayne began to call her and text her. However, all those calls and messages went unanswered. Not sure what happened to Samantha, Dwayne leaves, and several hours later, Dwayne receives a text message that said something like, I'm going on vacation. I'm tired. But Dwayne knew that she wouldn't just leave. And Samantha's father, James Koenig, takes his daughter's abduction to the media. And right away, he pleads with the public. And I quote, just please help find my daughter. I don't know if my daughter's being fed, taken care of, if she's still alive, if she's getting any sleep. The FBI joined the Anchorage Police Department in looking into the family and friends of Samantha, and quickly they were able to roll out Samantha's boyfriend, Dwayne. With no leads, no motives, the FBI and the police are not sure where to start looking for Samantha. Then 10 days later, after Samantha went missing, Samantha's family held a vigil for her and asked the public's help in handing out flyers. Then three weeks after Samantha went missing, Samantha's boyfriend, Dwayne, gets another text message. Another one? Another one. And these are all coming from her phone. Right. And this one reads, Connor Parks signed under pick of Albert Ain't She Purdy. Really? Not pretty. Purdy. When the family and Dwayne arrive at the park, they notice a bulletin board. And on the bulletin board... There was a picture of a missing dog named Albert. And directly underneath the picture, there was a plastic bag. And inside the plastic bag, there was a clipping of a picture. What was in the picture? So when detectives open the plastic bag, they find that the bag contained a picture of Samantha holding a newspaper to show that she was still alive and not her. Along with the picture, the bag also contained a type message that asked for $30,000 to be deposited into Samantha's bank account. So right away, Samantha's father deposits $5,000 into his bank account 
I'm sorry, into his daughter's bank account. Right. Which, you know, he asked for 30 and then typical, like, I'm just going to start off with... Let's just start with five. I'm just kidding. What do you think? Let's just start with five. <laughs> My dad would probably be like, here's five dollars. <laughs> give him some credit. He'll give you maybe a 20. <laughs> so, Samantha's father deposits five dollars into his daughter's bank account. And hours after Samantha's father deposits the money, there was a withdrawal from Samantha's bank account. The perpetrator used Samantha's debit card at an ATM. And right away, detectives get an alert. And they rush to the ATM. However, they missed the perpetrator by 10 minutes. Was this still in Anchorage or did mm-hmm. this guy go somewhere else? Yeah. Anchorage. So detectives are able to get the video that was on the ATM. And they begin reviewing it in hopes that they would be able to put a face to Samantha's abductor. Mm-hmm. However, the man that was using her ATM card had his face completely covered. He was wearing dark clothes and had a mask and glasses. So it, it was nearly impossible to make out any features. They couldn't even, detectives couldn't even tell what race the perpetrator was. Because yeah. he was just covered. He had covered the hoodie on, dark clothes, a mask, sunglasses. He had gloves on. You just couldn't and, tell. I mean, same thing as when he she actually got abducted. I'm assuming, right? There was nothing. No. He was covered up again. Yeah. And remember, he he had her turn off all the lights. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it was mostly like shadows yeah, that you see. Mm-hmm. So detectives start to monitor Samantha's bank account. And they get alerted again a week later that another withdrawal was made from her account. Except this time, the withdrawal was made from an ATM in Wilcox, Arizona. Really? Yeah. So then shortly after the withdrawal in Arizona, detectives start getting alerts from other locations as well. One withdrawal was from Lordsburg, New Mexico, Humble, Texas, and in Shepherd, Texas. This is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about kind of like close like time? Yeah. In between? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... All of these withdrawals and the locations of them obviously show detectives that the perpetrator was heading east. And even though he had been very careful covering his identity while withdrawing money in Arizona, detectives were able to see a white Ford Focus in the background of one of the cameras. Really? Yeah. So detectives right away, they put out a bolo for the white Ford Focus. And on March 13th, a car matching the description is spotted in a Texas hotel parking lot. And a state trooper was the one that spotted the car. And he was like, hmm, there's something odd. I'm just going to stick out and wait until the person gets yeah, keep into an eye the on car. This car. Yeah. So, which is a good thing he does. So the state trooper ends up pulling the car over once once they leave the parking lot. And it was just like a minor thing. The car was speeding. And he was like, okay, now's my chance. I'm going to pull them over. Use that as an excuse. So when he pulls over the Ford Focus, the driver handed an ID to the state trooper with the name of Israel Keys. Hmm. And upon searching the car, they find Samantha's ID, Samantha's debit card, Samantha's cell phone. And along with Samantha's belongings, they found a gun. And along with the gun, they also found a mask, sunglasses, sweater, and gloves. And all those items matched the perpetrator that was caught on the ATM cameras. So you just had a serial killer kit with him, huh? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. So in March of 2012, two weeks after Israel was arrested in Texas, he was extradited back to Anchorage, Alaska. Prior to getting arrested in 2012, though, Israel Keys didn't have a record. The only thing on his record was a previous DUI, but no history of any violent crimes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So while back in Anchorage custody, Israel Keys made a deal with detectives. His deal was that if he told them about the murders he had committed, in turn, he would like a quick execution. He didn't want to be waiting in death row for years because he didn't want his mother and daughter to suffer because of his crimes. Glad he's thinking of other people. <laughs> so while in custody, Israel tells police officers that when he showed up to the coffee shop, he first asked Samantha to make an Americano. And once she handed him the coffee, Israel told detectives that he then instructed her to turn the lights off. And once she turned them off, he climbed through the window and demanded money. Then Israel said that he demanded her to get to the floor. And when she did, he bounded her hands behind her back with zip ties. And Israel said that They were both on the floor for about two to three minutes because he wanted to make sure that there was no last minute customers that would approach the coffee stand. Mm -hmm. So Israel said that after they waited a few minutes, he then asked Samantha where her car was. And that's when Samantha told Israel that she didn't have a car and that her boyfriend was supposed to pick her up. So Israel proceeded to walk her to his truck. And while taking that walk to the truck, Guess what? What happened? Samantha got away from him. Really? She ran. But unfortunately, Israel was able to catch up to her. And he tackled her to the ground. And once he gained control of the situation, he told her that if she tried to escape again, he would shoot her. So obviously, she's now in fear for her life. Right. You know? Like, I'm not going to try that again. Yeah. So then he ends up convincing Samantha that he's only trying to ransom her and that if she cooperates, then nothing will happen to her. But Israel told detectives that he knew all along he was going to kill her. Israel told detectives that around 10.30 p.m. on that night, he drove Samantha back to the coffee shop because he wanted to use her cell phone to contact her family so that they can think she's alive. Okay, Mm -hmm. so... He had taken her away from the coffee shop and then realized, oh, she doesn't have her cell phone. Too bad. Now we're going to have to go back. Okay. So they go back and they grab her cell phone. Israel then drives Samantha to his house and he puts her in his shed and demanded her ATM card. And Samantha told Israel that her debit card was at her house in the car that her and her boyfriend shared. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so now what? <laughs> yeah. So Israel demanded her to tell him where she lived. And once Samantha told him the address, he left her in the shed and turned the music up so that no one could hear her in case she screamed. Mm-hmm. So Israel told detectives that he drove to Samantha's house. And when he was trying to break into the car, Israel said that he almost got caught by Samantha's boyfriend. And Dwayne had walked out and saw Israel 
and Dwayne yelled at him. But then he, Dwayne ran back into the house to get like help. And when he did, Israel grabbed the debit card and he left running. Which later on, detectives had talked to Dwayne. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne had said, hey, there was somebody that was like here at the house trying to break into into my car. I didn't get a descri- Like he couldn't see who it was, couldn't give a description at all. So that kind of pretty much went and nowhere until later when when Israel is telling detectives, yeah, that was me. Did Dwayne know that the debit no. card was in the car? Mm-mm. Mm, didn't connect the dots. Huh? Mm hmm. So, upon returning to the shed, Israel told detectives that he sexually assaulted Samantha and choked her to death. The next morning, on February 2nd, he flew to New Orleans, where he boarded a cruise ship for a cruise that he had booked in advance, leaving Samantha's body in the shed. Israel returned back to Anchorage on February 17th, where he then prepared Samantha's body so that she would appear to still be alive. And that's when he typed up the ransom note and took the picture of her while he was holding the newspaper showing the date of February 13, 2012. So that same picture, she was already dead. Oh, that's So that picture that they saw, she was was already dead at that point. But they didn't know, huh? No. Isn't that creepy? It is. That's really creepy. Who does that? Israel, Israel Keys. are you not Israel listening? Keys, I'm telling you the story. You know, he threw me off when he went on a cruise. I was not expecting a cruise. <laughs> that really, I mean, yeah, he had that planned out. I wonder if he had that plan. Like, that was a part of his, maybe... He had, oh, this yeah, is the like, thing about Israel. Israel had no M.O. He killed just to kill. Mm-hmm. He didn't target one specific type, one specific race. He didn't target women. It was women, men. It didn't matter. But to him, like it didn't matter. Like he would even he would it? even like go and lit. Um, he would drop off or hide a kill kit, and then like months later, he would just return to that area, and then whatever came across. Him. Okay, that's it. That's just crazy. for the thrill of it. So that was so hard about Israel Keys and trying to catch him because he had no ammo. He wasn't targeting. A specific, you know, like like Sam Little. He targeted a lot of sex workers and mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, people that just kind of went under the radar. Yeah. Whereas in him, he didn't care who it was. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, he even knew that she didn't have a car. You'd yeah. think that you would have known that. Right. No, no he, he, like he didn't stalk his prey. He didn't know. It was like, okay, wrong place, wrong time. Here we go. You know? So then, over the next several days, Israel dismembered Samantha's body and later dumped her body at the Metanuska Lake. On April 1st, FBI divers were able to recover the remains of Samantha Koenig. So while Israel was in custody, he taunted detectives by saying that he had killed less than a dozen. And while in jail, he used his own blood to draw 12 skulls which in the end detectives believe that 11 of those skulls represented his 11 victims and the 12th one was for him that's so weird mm-hmm. so yeah this- and there's pictures of that they released the pictures of like the skulls they the actual drawing yeah, yeah. so but out of those 11 victims 
they were only able to tie three victims back to Israel Keys. Just three? Just three. I'm telling you, it was so hard for them to make these connections. Again, he didn't target anybody in particular. There was really no reason. He wouldn't... How did they identify the whole kill kit thing? Did he admit that? Yeah. I'm assuming? Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get any other information out no. of him. No. He would just taunt them. And he like he would just pick and choose which murders he would confess to. It's really tough because even in in here where he said he went from Anchorage to then New Orleans, but then that was he the went thing. back he over to Arizona and New Mexico. He was all over the place. He killed everywhere. So that's why it was also so hard for him to connect him into to murders because he was all over the map. Hard, a hard pill to swallow because, like, really? I mean, we're talking about potentially, you know, several other murders that are not going to be closed out. I mm-hmm. mean, hopefully yeah. you can find some DNA or something, but even then, where do you even start? Yeah. Yeah, so Israel Keys committed suicide in the Anchorage jail cell on the night of December 1st, 2012. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I know. So he ended up slitting his wrist and also strangled himself with a sheet while lying in bed. And his body wouldn't be discovered until the next morning. So once again, here's another murder that we have that just took the cowardly way out, you know, and wasn't able to serve the sentence that he probably deserved. Yeah, not surprising. He did say that he wanted to go quick, which I don't know how you can move quickly on death penalty. Right, because he knew if I get... He probably knew he was going to get a death penalty. Mm -hmm. So he said right away, like, I'm not trying to put my mother and my daughter through this. Right. So, yeah, that's more than likely why he did it. But still, it's just a shame to see, you know, justice is not completely served because he ended up taking his own life, you know, rather than actually serving his sentence, whatever that might have been. Right, and even then, also leaving others just unknown. Mm-hmm. Just completely unknown, who knows what other victims we're talking about here. Yeah. And when they did, you know, I'm assuming the shed that he has, mm-hmm. well, even that doesn't matter because his skull kits are all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's not like that was his thing and take the, yeah, the no. person back to no, the shed. No, that was the thing. He didn't have an MO. He killed just to kill. I feel the urge right now. I'm out for a walk. I'm just going to kill right now just for the heck of it, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah. And I have to say, so you know, I'm kind of morbid. But unfortunately, I wanted to really scare you. And I wanted to show you that picture that he took of Samantha. Oh, I don't want to see that. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah, no. Authorities haven't released that picture. Really, they haven't? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to eventually see it. But. Yeah, but it was weird because I read in my research, like, he went out of his way to, like, do her makeup. And don't quote me on this, but I want to say that I read in an article, and I don't know how true it is, but supposedly he had, like, sewed her eyes open. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because so it could look like her eyes were open. Yeah. In the picture. Oh, that's yeah, it's just so crazy. It just shows how disturbing, how disturbed this guy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then after that, I'm just gonna go on a on a cruise. No, that's actually yeah. before the cruise. <laughs> no, he went. He went. He killed her, and then he went on the cruise. Yeah. Which 
leads me to my next thing. Never ever go on a cruise. Was it coronavirus? No. Why never go on a cruise? You have any idea how many bad things happen at during cruises? People that go missing, people die. And you know, it's just a little, it's not an actual like police that's in the cruise. It's like, you know, think about like target security or something. Mm-hmm. It's not trained people. So, you know, if you go missing and you don't even carry your ID. See, you're going on a soapbox right now. And just... my parents are going to soapbox. They, they love cruises. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, I wanted to end this episode on a fun fact. Are you ready? Fun Jose? fact, ready. Mm-hmm. So, but this is more of a fun fact for our listeners than you. So the fun fact. So we all know Jose apparently does not carry his ID, and I yelled at him for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, apparently he leaves his car in empty, which I think he still does. Do you? Yeah. Okay. So no he still right hasn't now. learned that much, but you guys. The other day, he decided to, we were getting ready to record, and he says, hey, can you help me hold on to this receipt, because I don't want to lose it, and I can't lose it. And I was like, what are you talking about? A receipt for what? He's like, oh, I took my comforter to the dry cleaners. And I was like, what? I was like, why didn't you? My head automatically went, okay, who did he murder, right? So I'm like, why would you not throw it in your washer? And he's like, well, because it was too big. And I was like, what What made you think? Let me take the comforter to the dry cleaners, you guys. <laughs> what was your response? He lo- We taught him something during the <laughs> podcast. What was your response? It was a few episodes back. Uh-huh. I had no idea that's what you do. Because <laughs> it's a king size. It's huge. It doesn't fit in the like your regular washer dryer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like... Oh, that's what connected the dots. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, which guy was it? I'm trying to mm-hmm. remember. It was a dude, that, he was going to it the beach. It was Daniel Van Dam. Daniel Van Dam. He's like, remember in that episode that we recorded and you said that he took his comforter to the dry cleaners? And when I saw that the comforter didn't fit in the wash, I was like, oh, I should just call up the dry cleaners. Yeah. So fun let me, fact, let me get you guys, quote. we're slowly quote. teaching Jose. The whole thing. Fun fact. He he didn't learn how to stay alive, but he did learn how to clean up after himself. Have a again. really nice. Darn it, we're teaching the wrong comforter. thing actually. <laughs> you learn how to clean up. Mm. So fun fact, you guys. Let's end it with that note. 36 bucks? Fun fact. <laughs> Can't complain. <laughs> if you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast True Crime Weekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe on to Apple Podcasts. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening. <laughs>